I don't know if you guys were like me growing up, but as a kid, I used to sit there on my bed and dream and, and, and pray about my future wedding day and year of marriage, first year of marriage, and everything in between. I mean, anybody there like me? I know a lot of the ladies are like, yeah, and a lot of the guys are like, I didn't think about that. So, well, I did, okay? So I, I would, you know, I would wonder, oh, what's it going to be like? And what's going to happen? And, and, you know, who am I going to marry? And I would pray for my wife and that I didn't know about because people at church said you should do that because you don't want to get a stinker. And so I said, okay, I'll try that. And I was just a little guy. And so I, you know, and I would envision this and my idea of marriage was very different than actual marriage. I don't know if you guys came to that realization um, very quickly, but when I got married, uh, I was at school with six classes and a lab. I had five jobs with a total of 55 hours a week. Uh, we got married at Thanksgiving break because that was all the time we had. Um, and and it, it, was, it, was, it was crazy. It was awesome, but it totally wasn't my ideal of what I thought of in my head way back when to what it actually looked like in reality. And the same thing goes, I hear people talk about their first couple years of marriage as so amazing, and it was like the honeymoon just kept going on and on and on, and I'm like, wow, that wasn't Kim and I. <laughs> we had a great time, but we fought like cats and dogs, and it was really difficult, and it was really hard, and, and like, I was a jerk, and I had to learn a lot of things, <laughs> like, you know, and she wasn't perfect either, she's a lot better than me, but wasn't, you know, and so there was things we had to work out, and it was not the ideal, it was messy, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like life, right? Some of you have, you have babies, you know, and you, when you were young and you were envisioning having a baby, it was nothing like it is in reality, right? Them throwing up all over you. Um, and then as they get older, then they, then they throw up on you with their words and they, you know, and they do all those things. It's like, oh my gosh, this is, this is really difficult. This is not the ideal. And I think to some extent, the reason why I'm bringing all this up, um, is, is to, to look at Christmas not ideally as we do a lot of times. Um, we do this all the time with movies and, and, and reading, you know, the books. It's, it's, it tries to idealize this, this, you know, Christmas or marriage or whatever it is. But I think with Christmas, we've come to this place where we look at it and it's, it's got this rosy finish on it that, that's not really true. And many of you, this time of year, you're, you're busy. It's crazy. It's not what it was supposed to be in your mind. Does that make sense? You have to go see a family that maybe you don't always like, or for some reason and you can't figure it out, doesn't like you. And there's issues and there's struggles and there's traffic. And, you know, Uncle Egbert keeps drinking way too much spiked eggnog, you know? I mean, whatever it is, it's just this thing that's happening and you're just like, this is not what I wanted, you know? So I guess what I want to do is I want to look at the true meaning of Christmas. Does that make sense? I want to look at Christmas the way it was, I guess, the first Christmas. And we're going to read a really long passage. And you'll see why in a second. <laughs> but I want to look at Christmas and not, not look at it in a cloudy form of what we see today, but in the true meaning and more of a crystal clear understanding. Because as we get older and as we go through life, we can become pretty cynical and critical and, and look at this stuff in a really bad way. And I, I want to look at it the right way. So if you could stand with me, we're going to go ahead and pray and we're going to read out of the book of Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to read about 25 verses, so bear with me. Um, but it's, you know what, I think it's some good stuff here and I just want to get in and jump into it as quick as I can. Um, so let's pray. Lord, we just ask that you would illuminate the scriptures in our heart. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, we know that you can show us and reveal the things that we need to see in our life right now. 
And I pray that that's what we would be about. We would be about opening our hearts to you, humbling ourselves and saying, Lord, show us, reveal what it is that you would have us to see. May we be connected to you so that we're growing and serving in your family, in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Verse, chap, verse 1 of chapter 1, it says this, This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was fa- uh, the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Now Judah, uh, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nachshan, Nachshan the father of Salman, Salman the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. With me? Okay. Obed, now... Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the king of David, David was, or king of King David, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, now you know, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Now, after that exile to Babylon, Jeconiah, that was the father of Shalatil, Shalatil, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abchud, Abchud, the father of Elakim, Elakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Elakud, Elakud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Matan, Matan, the father of Jacob. Whew! And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. The mother, Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Whew. Now, verse 17. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from, the, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from exile to the Messiah. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people and from their sins. Uh, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Okay, you can be seated. Now, there's a reason we went and did all that. Besides the fact that I mean, you're not going to hear that a lot of that in the Advent. You know, they're not going to go through the genealogy as much as, as we just did. But I really wanted to look at that. And I, and I struggled because I was putting together this message. And we're, we've kind of suspended, just for the, for the, for the week, the kingdom basics. Because I really wanted... This is our first Christmas. I don't know if you guys know that. As, as, as a church, uh, really, this is our first Christmas. And I just wanted to look at this. Um, because I think this passage really illuminates some things that are really key about... Christianity and about understanding what Jesus was here for, what Christ, you know, Christmas was all about, why he did what he did. And 
I guess what the, the big thing here is that I, I want to understand the fundamental things about seeing Christmas realistically and looking to Jesus, because it really is all about Jesus. And so some history first, and, and I guess what I want to do is give you the history that they give, which we don't really get, and genealogies were really important. And the reason is because they wanted to, if you look at a genealogy back in the day, it was to show how amazing this person was that was born. And you didn't put in, you know, uh, Uncle Zebedee who, who killed four people out of anger. Does that make sense? Like, you didn't do that. But, but that's the crazy thing about the genealogy here. When you understand what's happening in this genealogy, I think we, we get something over the, the first point that we're going to make in a second. And let me just say this. I'm going to go through this and I want you to understand this. Now, Abraham, yes, he was the father of the nation, but he was also a liar. And he didn't always trust God. He had huge issues. He had huge struggles. Judah and Joseph, well, they sold their youngest brother to slavers to kill him. That's not exactly the best thing. Tamar, by the way, dressed up like a prostitute to sub, uh, seduce her father-in-law so that the line could be continued. Not exactly the most ideal situation. Rahab was a pagan prostitute. That's it. <laughs> And Ruth wasn't even an Israelite. She was of the hated tribe of Moab. She was a Moabite. And, 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 and wouldn't even be considered a real person in a genealogy of Jewish time. Uh, by the way, when it says, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, that's Bathsheba. That's the one that David, King David, killed her husband and took her as his wife. And their firstborn died because of the sin that he had committed. Not a respectable genealogy. Oh, and by the way, women would, wouldn't have never, ever been included in any genealogy of that time. For good reason, because back then, women, I'm sorry, but meant nothing. And I hate to say that, it's not true, I don't believe that. But that's what they would have said. And so they wouldn't even have included them in there. So the fact that even women are in here, that people are shaking their head in that time going, what is going on? Why are they doing this? David, murderer, adulterer, Solomon, oh, he had like a thousand wives. 1,200 prostitutes, something like that. And and because of him and his sin, the kingdom and his sons afterwards pretty much died off. Some of the worst kings in Israel are said in this genealogy. In fact, the worst king of all was a Manasseh, and he's included in this genealogy. In fact, Manasseh was so bad, and in the book of Kings, God says through his prophet, I can't even begin to tell you what he did. It's too bad. And by the way, there's a lot of bad stuff in the Bible that's said about people. So if it's that bad that even God and his prophet wouldn't say it, then it was really bad. So what's the point here? What am I trying to make here? Um, I guess if, if Christmas is about this ideal, perfect thing, then what the heck is all of this about? And I guess it, 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 it's more like about a perfect God entering into our imperfect world, isn't it? You couldn't get much more of an imperfect family tree. And this is the first point that I want you to get here. Jesus entered into the imperfect family tree of us all. He entered into the imperfect family tree of us all. I mean, if we look at this, you know, just looking at it objectively, you realize this is horrible. This is not the family you want to be born to. You don't ever, as a good Jew, say, oh, my great-great-granddaddy was Manasseh. I mean, that's like saying my great-great-granddaddy was, not, was Hitler. I'm not kidding. It was horrible. <laughs> it's not good. And I guess what I want to say is, I don't care who you are, you've entered into this world into an imperfect family. 
And Jesus did too. I don't know if you know this, but that's, to me, a big deal. That's a big deal. Because Jesus can identify. He gets it. He came as a helpless baby to be raised by a messed up family. By not a perfect family. Now Mary and Joseph were good people, but they were imperfect, just like you and me. They didn't understand what to do with this gift of God, just as much as we barely understood what to do. And their family tree wasn't much of a help. He entered into the world and all its junk, just like us. Secondly, Jesus endured the experience of an imperfect family. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you how many teenage girls wish they could say that. What a way out, right? <laughs> I mean, it wasn't, I didn't do it. I don't know what happened. God, God said he would come over me with the power of the Holy Spirit and voila. Sure he did, Mary. Sure he did. You see, it's not called a miracle unless it's miraculous, which means the intervention of the divine, which means something completely impossible from us. And I don't know if you've ever tried to explain a miracle to anybody who's rationally thinking. They almost never believe you. See, the truth is, Jesus is born under circumstances that no one's going to believe. He endured an experience of being raised by a teenage mom and a dad who had to explain to him, well, you see, and had to tell their neighbors, well, this, okay, so yeah, because everybody was in everybody's business back then. I don't know if you've ever been to the Middle Eastern culture, okay? It was a sin to deny somebody who knocked on your door. If the, if the Fuller Brush Man came or someone selling encyclopedias, you had to give them a meal. And they had to know everything about your family before they left. That's the idea there. And so if they're entering into this town, everybody knows their stuff. And everybody knows that Mary is an illegitimate mom. And technically, under the law, if you, if you do what technically she did here, which if you don't believe that Jesus was born in a miraculous way, then she was supposed to be stoned. She was supposed to be killed at the, at, in front of the city gates by all people because it was a sin and you had to take care of that. See, we don't really understand this when it says he planned to divorce her quietly. How is it that they're married and divorce and all that? Well, in the Middle East, if you were betrothed, you were betrothed as a child. Your two, three-year-old would get you know, betrothed to so-and-so's family, and the parents would work it out. And then about the 13, 14 years of age, they would then become engaged. Now, their engagement isn't like today's engagement, where you give a ring and, okay, maybe in a month we'll get married. No, it was a year. You would get engaged, and that literally meant you were married. Now, you couldn't be together, though, until you were officially married, married. So what, what would happen was the husband would go away and he would build a room on top of his father's house or on the side of his father's house to include the new wife that would come in. Do you get it? So while you're engaged, he's off doing work to be, you know, to include the bride-to-be. So that's what's going on. And so here she comes back as he's working hard going, I'm getting this stuff ready for you, Mary. We're going to be married. Woohoo! And she says, I'm pregnant. I, I don't know if... I, I can just imagine his face probably dropped like, you're what? And he was a good man. So he planned on doing this the right way because he didn't want to hurt her. He loved her so much that he didn't want to hurt her. Because he knew if he, did this, if he didn't do this quietly, he had a right to say, hey, no, you're, you're in trouble. And we're going to stone you. Because what you did was so offensive. 
And we know that the, the angel came to Joseph and said, no, no, no. This is, this is something that God is doing. But Jesus endured an experience that I don't think you guys understand sometimes. I don't understand sometimes. But I know that I've endured experiences in my life coming from a family that I came from that wasn't always perfect, that I looked up and said, why the heck do I have to experience this? Why do I have to go through this? Why do I have to go through going to the swap meet to get my clothes because no one will buy me clothes? Why do I have to do that? Why do I have to? I mean, I can just tell you things. I mean, I ran away from my dad's house. I ran away from my mom's house. I had to experience things that, honestly, I was like, why do I have to go through this? Why do I endure this? And I just think back now here to Jesus, who had to endure the taunts from how many men, how many boys, how many girls saying, oh, yeah, you're the illegitimate son. Your mom should have been stoned a long time ago. Jesus. See, we don't look at that. (laughs) But that's the truth. Because everybody was in his business. And they knew. Jesus endured the experience of living in a broken world and a broken home. Jesus came completely exposed, lastly. He came completely exposed to the imperfect world around him. Seriously, a helpless baby? Have you guys ever wondered this? I have. Why didn't Jesus just come down in that blue sash as a full-grown man with a beard, just floating down from heaven, got up right on that cross and said, it's finished, and then left? You ever wondered that? He could have. But he didn't. He entered into our imperfect world. He endured our imperfect world. And then he exposed himself to the imperfect world in a dirty cave under a brutal dictator. I don't know if you guys know this, but Herod was known as so brutal that Josephus, he was the historian at that time, called Herod a man of great barbarity towards all men. I don't know about you, you, but if I was God, I'm like, can I go under a peaceful guy? Because that's scary. He killed his own wife and his three sons. Because he was worried that they were going to do something to him. So he just murdered them. Because that's what you do, right? No! This guy was bad! And then he goes and does this horrible genocide to all the two-year-old kids and under in the town of Bethlehem because that's where he hears Jesus is being born. So he does this mass murder of infants. God, what were you thinking? That's what I want to say. Why would you come with him? And then they had to flee to Egypt. There was a lot of Jews who fled to Egypt during that time. There was a big Jewish quarter in Egypt, in Alexandria at that time, because there was many that fled because of the persecution and the junk going on. Guys, I don't know what you're enduring, but I don't know if you know this. Jesus really had to endure it, even before he knew he was enduring it. And some of you, like me, probably grew up in a time and in a place and in a home where you look back later and went, why? Why did I have to endure that? Jesus did. He wanted to be exposed to the imperfect world just like us. Now, if I guess we were to put this into a sentence really quick and you're just filling in blanks, he wanted to enter into our existence and endure our experience and finally to live exposed to our imperfection. So what does this mean? What does this mean to us? I guess it means that Jesus gets you. See, it could have been easy for him just to show up. Just be like, here we go. Get down from heaven. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. (laughs) I'm doing this thing and I'm getting away because seriously, you guys are a bunch of sinners. You know what I mean? He could have done that. But no, no. He came down as a baby to an imperfect family and did these things and endured, entered, endured, and exposed. Why? 
He knows your struggle. He knows what it means to be neglected and forgotten. Let me put it in three ways. If I'm going to answer the entered, endured, and exposed, it would be this way. Because he entered into it, he gives us an exit out of sin, of which can no longer control you. He gets you an exit. Because he entered, we now have an exit. I love Romans 8. Look at this. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. There's no more you stink and you're never getting close to me. That's condemnation. Look at your rags. They're filthy. Get away from me. There's no longer that. Why? Because you belong to Him. The power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our our sinful nature. We entered into it. Little babies. I love them. But they're little sinners. And you know that. (laughs) Our little precious ones. They're still little sinners. And they still say, me, 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 all the time, don't they? And we give and give and give, and one day they slap us. And we're like, why did you just slap me? Because they're sinners. (laughs) That's what they do. I love kids, but man, they're little sinners. (laughs) Right? I mean, let's be honest. There's no kid born perfect, except for Jesus. But he entered into our imperfection. So God did what the law could not do. He sent His own Son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. What? And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. Amen. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the Spirit. Because He entered into it, we have the exit. I love it. One of the greatest miracles today, people, is to see people who are stuck enduring the sins of their fathers and their fathers and their fathers. Their mothers and their mothers and their mothers and they are just stuck. We know it. People don't change. But God comes along and says, look what I've done. Look how I endured. Here's the exit. And they have freedom. I don't know where I would be today if I didn't have the exit of Jesus. (laughs) If I didn't have the way through and he didn't give me the gate. I don't know where I would be. Where would you be? Jesus endured our experiences. He gives us an end as we surrender to him. That's that next part. Because Jesus endured, he gives us an end as we surrender to him. We no longer have to write our own story or fight for our ending. I love this. I mean, we can surrender our lives to the one that loved us so much. The idea of this is is taking a blank piece of paper, signing your name on it, and then giving it to God and saying, you write the story. That's it. But we can trust Him, can't we? I mean, amen, think about it. You can trust Him. He endured. He entered in. He endured it. I mean, there's no one better to give our life to. I'm sorry, I love my wife, but I'm not giving her my whole, like, 100% life. I can't. She can't take it. She wasn't meant to. And there are many people out who have relationships who are hoping on that one thing. And that one thing is always going to let them down, isn't it? Always. It always does. Marriage wasn't meant to fulfill you. Your job, your career, your kids, money. None of those things will fulfill you. Jesus entered into that mess. He endured it. And he says, I've given you an end. Surrender. I love this verse in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. 
Then he called to the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Do you get it? It's that surrender. But I don't know about you. I've surrendered to a lot of things and they've all let me down. I mean, back in the day, I surrendered to addiction. I surrendered to pleasure. I surrendered to work. I surrendered to, and it always let me down. You get what I'm saying? But Jesus says, take, look at this. If you give up your life for me, if you surrender to me, you will save it. Because Jesus lived exposed to our imperfections, lastly, we can be enveloped by his perfection. Galatians chapter 3 talks about this in verse 26 and 29. It says, so in Christ Jesus, you are children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. I love that. The idea of that in, in, in the Jewish mindset is literally like taking God's skin and putting it on you. Jesus' skin as a cloak and wearing him. So that when God sees you, you're completely enveloped by Jesus. And God says, that's my son. That's my daughter. Enveloped in perfection. No longer do I see their junk. I've made their sins as white as snow. Awesome. I love that. Clothed in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free, no male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Do you get it? There's no more hierarchy. There's no more fighting. You're enveloped in God. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You're children of God. You're in the kingdom. Amen? Because Jesus lived exposed... We can be enveloped. We can live free from guilt and sin, knowing that Jesus took our imperfections so that we might live. See, this is what Christmas really means. That little baby is God in a bod. I love it. And He did that. He did that. Because He wanted us to know that He knows and that He gets it. He knows what it's like to live with those parents. <laughs> he knows what it's like to have to drive over to the uncle and aunt's house or look you know, every now and then into the memory of your mind and experience those hurts and those feelings of an imperfect world that have been implanted and imprinted upon you because of your past and because of what you were given. He gets it. He knows it. God sees his son, that envelops us as we wear him. I guess my last question is, have you been enveloped by the love of God, by being covered by Jesus? Now's the time. Christmas is that time to look at that baby and know that he came and experienced it all so that you, you can have a home. So I guess one of the things that I just want to say in general is my wife and I will be up here and other people who want to pray for you. If, you're, if you need prayer, you come pray with us. We, we'd be honored and privileged to pray for you. But I just want to say and reiterate one more time, he wanted to enter into our existence and endure our experience and finally to live exposed to our imperfection. He wanted to give us an exit. He wanted to envelop us and he wants to end so that we surrender. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. I, I, my, my prayer is that people would be able to come up and, and experience you and, and just know that you, 
you could have done a lot of different things in a lot of different ways, but you did it in such a way that showed ultimate surrender, that showed ultimate enduring and entering in. And, and that's just crazy to me. I don't have that kind of love. I can't give that kind of love. But you can. And you did. And so, Lord, I just, I just want to know you. And the fellowship of your sufferings, as Paul said. I want to follow after you the true meaning of Christmas who came and died knowing that your end would be our exit. Thank you so much for your sacrifice. Lord, we are in debt to you forever. It's a payment we could never pay, but God, you paid it by your son Jesus Christ on that cross. And my prayer is that if there are people here that just need to know your love and experience, as we talk about the last week of Advent here with love, there is no greater love that that lays his life down. And you laid your life down gladly, not just for friends, but for enemies and those that despised you. Lord, I no longer am stuck in that. You've made me free. And you're all about freedom. And I just pray that if there are are here today, people who are here that need that freedom, they would come to you. They would seek you out. They They would sit and say, Lord, free me. I know you came to do that. And you get it. So we, we love you and we thank you. I just pray that ministry would happen as you allowed it to take place through your son Jesus Christ and came the way you did for the true meaning of Christmas. Amen.